Welcome to The Deal with Yield, your podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. I'm Joel Whipperforth, Director of Digital Transformation at Winfield United. And I'm John Zook, Agronomist for Winfield United. On this episode of the podcast, John and I will be discussing how to best evaluate and analyze harvest data and how to put those learnings into practice. Yeah, so Joel, it feels like uh, we kind of do this one and we talk about harvest data when harvest data season is upon us. And I think because of the way that we collect data, that's cha- some things change every little bit every year. And so maybe a good way to start into it is what we know and how, how do we get good quality data and information. And then maybe where it might lead us is how do we take that data to make better arm farm decisions just because we have tools and other recommendations to do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I recently read a stat here from a, a USDA report uh, that was out there. You know, participants were asked uh, if they collect yield monitor data, soil sample data, or imagery data uh, from a drone or a satellite. And, you know, the results from large operations for is that data collection is part of their consistent routine uh, business practice. Uh, 82% report using a yield monitor. So a pretty high number of producers using yield monitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, 77% uh, perform soil testing, and 47% are collecting some sort of drone or satellite imagery. Uh, so, you know, fairly high usage of, of, uh, of data collection that's out there. Uh, so I, I think, you know, certainly there's, uh, there's some people out there that, uh, that, that still don't do anything with it, but some of, some of the noise that I hear is around calibration still. And, you know, uh, there's, there's certainly better ways to visualize in-cab um, yield. I think, uh, you know, there's a couple companies out there, you know, Climate Field View has really stepped forward trying to bring uh, instant yield analysis, instant data analysis into the cab. Uh, and I, the stuff that they're doing and the compute power that they're bringing forward to do some of those, those in-cab analytics, that's really piqued people's interest in yield data. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things I hear about that is, you know, still is, well, you know, you need to calibrate the combine. And I think that's a place where, you know, uh, combine calibration is still one of those things, especially in a year like this, where yield variability uh, is a big deal. You know, if you're harvesting a field and the yield ranges between 100 and 300, you need more calibration points to make that yield monitor more accurate. So maybe a reason for not using that data or looking at it is because the feeling of accuracy is limited by calibration. Yeah, accuracy and, you know, it's a, it's a time function. Uh, you know, do I, do I want to stop to weigh it? Mm-hmm. So some of the things that, uh, I mean, wonder percentage-wise uh, how many grain carts have scales on them now. I mean... I feel like there's a lot of them. I mean, most guys, but but I deal with, uh, I once got accused of making generalities just because um, most of the, it feels like a lot of the, the customers that I would work with do have yield mapping capabilities and are actively using them. Not that all of them do, but a lot of them do. And in that case, they see the value in making sure that it's good, accurate, right information. So they do have uh, way, uh, weights on, weight pads on the grain cart. And that's an easy, quick way to calibrate your monitor. One of the new apps that, I mean, they make several of them, but uh, you can do a, you can have the scale Bluetooth connect into the combine. So now it's now you can 
hey, guess what? We're entering an egg technology. You no longer have to communicate verbally. Right. You can just, you have an app that taps into the guy's device and you don't have to have a conversation over a walkie-talkie. Now you can just look at what his scale is. And so that has made it a lot easier to load trucks and calibrate combine monitors. Yeah, just like the dinner table, people sitting across from each other, texting each other the answer versus actually saying something. So, you know, the... Uh, just like you just texted me an app and you're right. sitting next to me, right? Right. Well, I had to show you what the app was going to look like. Uh, so I think, you, you know, when it comes to, to yield monitor calibration, another, you know, innovation has come along. Uh, you know, they actually have put, uh, you know, Bluetooth sensors, you know, to on the on the on the scales for the grain cart, but they've also started to put load cells inside of the, the combine. Mm-hmm. And so there's some auto calibration that's going on that way. But, you know, whether you get your calibration the old way and, you know, you have a way wagon or you have a grain cart, uh, you know, the only challenge on the grain cart is sometimes the, the weight increments. You really want a longer measurement in there. You know, you want probably uh, a couple of rounds of measurement because they're going to, you know, calibrate down to, you know, 20 pound increments. Mm-hmm. And if you've only got 500 feet, well, it's not going to be accurate enough to, to, uh, to do that. So, but whether you do it from a way wagon or uh, a grain cart or have the auto calibration, or maybe you just send the whole truckload to town, uh, calibration is one of the key important factors. And I think, you know, depending upon what yield monitor you have, uh, probably the better part of five years ago was when uh, single point calibration became uh, became multi point calibration, where some machines out there, you know, what you would do is you would drive the combine through the field, and you would tell that load sensor, that 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 flow, that mass flow sensor, what 200 bushels worth of flow feels like. But the further you got away from 200 bushels, if you got into 300 bushels, mm-hmm. and if you got down to under 100 bushels, that sensor just didn't have a second calibration point. And about five years ago, it kind of mainstream, the majority of monitors started to calibrate into multi-points of calibration. And so the, the flow sensor was calibrated for 100 bushel, for 150, for 200, for 250, and on, and on along the way. And you do that by varying the speeds uh, as you're calibrating. The goal is to, is to give that sensor additional uh, flow rates of calibration as you go across the field. That's one additional way to increase accuracy. And that's all, you know, just basically I'm reading from an owner's manual here that, that would, would tell you that that's how you get uh, higher calibration is multi-point uh, flow, sen- uh, multi-points of yield flowing across the sensor. Yeah, so calibration is a big one, but <clears throat> I think probably the, the other one that we run into a lot is uh, – what do you think on the accuracy of yield data? I mean, if, if you can gauge, say, hey, I know my monitor is 2% off and it's consistently 2% off. I mean, how do you feel on, I mean, because there's kind of like the over calibration effect too, where you, like, hey, you got to weigh every truckload, every grain cart, and that's how, I mean, where do we get to a point where, hey, we know where we're at in the yield and let's just make sure we keep consistent on that and check it every one one day or two days or whatever we need to do. I mean, what's your what's yeah. your opinion or recommendation there? You know, I had a, a grower uh, earlier this fall. He said, you know, I've got my 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 original that my OEM monitor calibrated, and right alongside of that, I have a uh, an aftermarket monitor side by side, and I calibrate both of them. And this one is consistently one percent higher. And I, I kind of looked at that and I, I said, well, you know. 
number one, you're probably in the in the in the in the two percent category of producers that have calibrated both monitors. Mm-hmm. And you know, the other thing is, is you know, depending upon where that flow sensor is in that combine, one flow sensor might be impacting the other flow sensor. Or you know, in any case where you've got two brands in the same cab, they're probably just pointing the finger at each other saying it's their fault. Yep. Uh, so, you know, there, there is a, a point there. And, and I think if you, if you back this off into kind of certain levels of data integrity that you need, uh, you know, if you're trying to sell based on, the, you know, sell off the board of trade, uh, how many bushels are in your uh, in the bin? You probably should take a physical measurement of that. That's that's going to be the safest place. The last thing you'd want is your inventory to be a little bit short uh, because because you don't have that. That's also the the legal way to do that. If you've sold corn uh, or or sold futures, you better have it in your bin. Uh, I think a second piece in there, you know, where where a little less accuracy is probably required is you know fertility recommendation. Is uh, it, it? It's not a perfect science. Um, you know, there's variance in the numbers of what yield removal can be. So within a, a few percent is probably just fine. Uh, but where where precision and I don't know how to quite answer this question yet, John, is you know what the future holds for how precise you need to be when you start to uh, pay the cost of your inputs and what you pay for them starts to be dependent upon the yield that you get. Mm-hmm. So in the case of, you maybe heard some the recent pieces about uh, uh, elite uh, or complete prescription from Winfield United, where you know you buy a certain set of ingredients uh, and you know you buy a seed package to go along with that. And as long as you get you know close to your APH, uh, uh, that is uh, then, you know, if you don't get close to your APH, we'll basically give you a warranty on mm-hmm. those products because you executed a nutritional prescription, uh, a seeding prescription, a hybrid recommendation, and then use that product. And so, when we start to warranty the products, certainly, you know, we're going to want to know at the end of that, you know, did you come up short? Because if you came up short, we want to be able to pay you out on those products. And if you didn't come up short, well, we want to also make sure that, you know. That we did a good job too. So there's mm-hmm. a, a fair trade there. That now all of a sudden yield calibration is starting to come into uh, the pricing of the products. Yep. And and with those products, I mean, you can buy into a particular percentage, right, of your APH. So whether it's 95, 100, 105, maybe 110, right, depending upon how that prescription is written and the risk involved in each one of those, um, now it becomes more and more of an issue because really the way that we're collecting the data is by that yield map and and making sure that everything is accurate is going to be critical to qualifying for the program. Yeah. So I think that's that's where yield data is coming in. But, you know, I, I, I want to flip back to a little bit. Uh, you know, you asked me about the importance of harvest data. And, you know, if you're just looking at harvest data, that's probably only one of the levels of of precision ag adoption. And I, I think uh, one of the major media outlets, uh, we, we work together in partnership with this to put this out uh, around, uh, you know, levels one through uh, one through six. Uh, levels. Starting with zero. Yeah. One through six, starting with zero, though, yeah, right? Yeah, so zero through five. <laughs> so, so there's, there's six a zero levels. level. Yeah. Zero level. Yeah. Okay, so let me read you what zero level is. Zero level is equipment efficiency and basic automation. Uh, and this is just saying the technologies like uh, boom shut off, uh, but really, you're saying if you're at level zero, you you use row shut off, but you don't really you know you, you don't really collect any data anywhere. You maybe use the technology that's on the machine, and you have auto steer, and you have auto steer. That's you're at level zero. You can't watch Netflix if you don't have auto steer. Yep, you swerve all over the road. It, my auto steer actually went out when planting one year. It was it was overwhelming. 
And I, I say that, you know, I'm not even joking. Like, to having to steer and make sure everything's going on, it just it wasn't good. Did you put the flashlight at the end of the uh, field and then just follow the light when it was dark out? Then you knew how straight you were going? Well, worse yet, my brother didn't set up the markers at the right distance. So one marker was, like, four inches wider than the other, and I was having to, like, think of my own offset that the tractor needed to be on the left side of the marker on one side and the right side of the marker on the other side. Geez, that's a lot of math for just a tractor driver to be doing. I know. I was underqualified to do that. Okay, so that's level zero. Uh, Level one is uh, basic georeference data collection. Uh, And in this one, they're talking about uh, growers are collecting at least one layer of spatial data utilizing GPS. Most likely, this is where you've hired out uh, grid soil sampling or zone soil sampling, but they're GPS recording those pieces. I feel like this is a place that you can buy your way into and you don't necessarily have to be an expert in it because you're hiring a service that comes with the expertise of doing that. So so level one is pretty easy. Explain to get your to. way, buy your way into, meaning, hey, you contract and say, hey, I just want you to go grid sample my farm. Is yeah. that what you mean? You just, yeah. you don't really have to do anything new to your tractors, out uh, equip your combine or anything with anything new. It's just here, I'm getting into precision ag and this is what I'm going to do with the GPS, but I'm going to pay somebody else to do it. Right. And then the fertility prescription that comes back is probably also executed by a machine that the service, you know, the surface retailer is equipped with GPS, uh, variable rate drive uh, belts to dispense either one or two or yep. even three bins of fertilizer on there. So, so really, you know, you're paying for that service uh, but you don't have to have a ton of education around, you know, the data collection and the processing of it and the execution of it. Yep, got it. So that's that's level uh, level one. But it starts with just one year of collection. So it's it's about the amount of years too, right? So it's not just saying, hey, I have one year of data. How many years of data do you need to have to qualify to level one? Right. Yeah. So basically, we're saying you have to have one layer, one year, one year uh, which you know is a little bit how we get into level two. You know, we talk about advanced georeference data collection, uh, building on level one. You know, the grower collects additional layers uh, for comparison to make operational decisions, and that can include calibrated yield data. We talked about that. Uh, you know, seed hybrid information, imagery, uh, and and those pieces that you know outside of you know. Uh, that the same thing that's happening uh, as you go to multi levels of GPS information, uh, you're probably going off your uh, your your low accuracy uh, WAS signal and probably moving over onto an RTK signal, starting to get uh, you know subfoot accuracy. Mm-hmm. So now you've taken that uh, level one information and put it into a, a farm plant seed planting, prescription, those types of things that actually execute on field operations versus just fertility. Right. Got it. Right. Uh, Level three, you know, building on the bare minimum of of levels one and two, uh, you're able to make, measure, and manage crop production using an evidence-based approach uh, and integration of multiple data layers. This is where you start to actually incorporate those, those descriptive uh, maps and uh, image analysis into prescriptive uh, recommendations. And, you know, that really focuses in on uh, satellite imagery and the use of that to, uh, to validate, uh, you know, decisions that you're trying to make. So this is total seasonal data collection. This is everything combined to help you make a decision on how you're going to go forward on that acre. Right. 
Right. Uh, level four, you know, talking about digital and process mastery. So, uh, you know, business process of, uh, you know, how you collect that data, how soon it gets to uh, the next person. And you've probably, you know, start to have three years of, of data. Like you've, if you've been doing this well, you've probably been doing this for three years or more. And, you know, as, as, uh, as different precision ag elements come into this, you know, and you're trying to normalize a yield map for, for zones, having three yields, three years of one crop's data might take you six years mm-hmm. if it's 50-50 rotation. So, so somewhere between three and six years, you start to master uh, that data collection. And this is the point where I'd say you would probably be willing to stop the combine if the data collection wasn't working. Yeah, so I was thinking between levels three and four, That's I feel like that's the big differentiation point. A lot of guys might find themselves in level three and say, yep, I'm meeting all those criteria. I'm operating um, with technology on my farm at, at a level three um, zone. But now you get to level four and it's a little bit more extreme because you have to have years of data and you got to be able to apply that data to fit the need of what that farmer field is recommending or requiring. Yeah. So, you know, and, and you, you, probably, uh, you probably are including trusted advisors at that point, that you're not just collecting all of this data for your own piece, but you're finding that people throughout your, your partnerships, uh, you know, your agronomist, maybe even, uh, you know, a, a, a grain marketer, a financial advisor, a consultant of some sort are starting to get access to these yield maps and, and, and have their input on, uh, on things that can change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last one, uh, level five, is, is continuous improvement and systems mastery. And, you know, it builds upon all the prior pieces, uh, but really starts to uh, exploit technologies and systems and allow for targeted, effective decision-making on a continuous basis. You know, so this is where you get into, you know, using uh, field forecasting tool, doing nitrogen modeling, targeting split applications. Now, just because you use field forecasting tool doesn't mean that you have a variable rate map in there. You may just be making the whole field decision based on that. Uh, you know, but it really starts to, you know, be able to utilize that data into the system. And this is where, you know, probably when you're in level five, this is where a tool like data silo becomes really, really important because at some point, some of the limiting factors isn't necessarily that somebody doesn't want to go from level four to level five, but it's the repeatability of the data being able to flow throughout all these systems. And, you know, one of the things that we've architected with data silo is when the file comes, you know, when the file is available and, and you know, in this case, uh, you know, climate makes uh, the, the as harvested, as applied or as planted data available in the cloud, uh, and the farmer's given permission for that data to be shared in the data silo, that file can automatically come over and uh, then that file can update, you know, so like in this case, as soon as you're done planting, the file goes to the cloud. Uh, there's a, a, you know, there's a, a, a token that's exchanged that tells the, the, the data silo, hey, there's new information here. And uh, they exchange that security token and uh and as planted data moves over to data silo and then into things like field forecasting tool or R7. So <clears throat> you're using maybe some new terminology, data silo. Let's make sure that everybody understands what the data silo is. Yep. And uh, I mean, so data silo, definition. Yeah, data silo. So it's Get the, the Webster out. Yeah, it's the uh, Winfield United's answer tech data silo. And, and really what it was put in place to do is to be able to transfer some basic information like grower, farm, and field information. We were finding that 
multiple systems, including the retailers, uh, you know, farm plan system, potentially the the retailers financial system, what we'd call a, an ERP, uh, you know, are both needed a system to be able to dis- dispatch a sprayer. If you grid soil sampled, you likely had a really accurate field boundary because you drove the field boundary to get the right acres in there. Uh, and those were kind of the the, the master uh, data sources. And so what we did was we used, uh, you know, we, we engaged the producer in data silo, the retailer got access to that information, and then the retailer could create that field boundary, replicate it across multiple tools. Uh, and we, we continue to build out those connections to, uh, to partners so that data can, you know, different elements of data can move back and forth. Uh, without somebody having to go in and manage that file or upload something and and create, you know, if you have six tools, you need six field boundaries. What's the same field boundary? So Data Silo is really trying to get at that ease of use for data flow. So making all those tools and and uh, components less of a uh, less of an issue to have to re-enter inter- information, right? You said it well of, hey, you don't have to pay somebody to to put, uh, enter data into the tool, right? right? Because the data silo houses it and transfers it from one tool to the next. Right. So it makes it a lot quicker, a lot easier to do that. And from a from a demonstration purpose, it's 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 a little bit unimpressive because you, you basically, uh, let's say you decide to split a field this year and you're going to go, you know, half corn, half soybeans. Well, you basically go into one tool and edit that and then when you go and look in the other tool, the boundary's been edited, right? So it's it's a fairly simple uh, piece, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of logic in the background that's going on to make that seamlessly go across and speak the same language. Mm-hmm. So one of the curious things, uh, level four means that you have to operate for three years, but because at level three, right? So you're doing total farm seasonal data collection at level three, level four, you got at least three years. And because of your three years, now you start to pick out spots in the fields and the farms where you can actually make decisions on. Okay. So that brings you to level four, but you just, we just got done kind of talking through the components of level five and how we connect them, but you don't get to level five unless you take what you found forensically from level four and made an application because of it. And that's where we have to have access to data silo and all these other tools because it's about deciding, okay, we know that there's this unique spot in the field or there's this trend that we always see on these three fields on that side of the county or whatever it might be, but how do we change it? What is our farming practice? And that's what brings us to the level five. Yeah. And if you followed our, our Facebook live episode on the Deal with Yield podcast, you know, we talked about, you know, where you would invest and, you know, would you invest in the 100 bushel area, the 200 bushel area, the 300 bushel area, that a lot of times the biggest opportunity is in that top end uh, yield potential, uh, that your top end yield potential is probably got more headroom to grow than your bottom end that has, you know, limiting factors of water, water, and water. Mm-hmm. So, so we talked to, we started the episode with talking about harvest data and the best way to calibrate a combine. We kind of went off into the, hey, let's talk about the different levels of uh, precision egg and how you would use them on a farm or where those farmers would find themselves. <sighs> like me, I, I mean, when I first th- started thinking about this, I kind of needed a document or a piece of paper to say, okay, where do I find myself using technology in agriculture and what level can I operate at? Is there any way that anybody listening could access what we just talked about and like say, hey, what level do I need to be at and how do I reach the next level to get to that point? Um, yeah, you know, Precision Ag, uh, we, so we work with the Precision Ag Institute and, uh, and Meister Media. Uh, I, I think they're going to be putting it out in, in publications uh, and, and they're going to be underpinning 
you know, a pattern language. You know, pattern language is, you know, just some similar words that we can get on to talk about in articles versus having to explain, you know, the farmer couldn't do, uh, you know, their their outcome-based pricing with Bayer because they didn't have three years because they weren't at level three, uh, you know, and this, which is one of the requirements of, mm-hmm. of Bayer's outcome-based pricing is to have three years uh, of data, or at least it has been at, at some point. Uh, so I, I think that's uh, that's one of the places that you can get that information. So I think that's important because uh, I continually get questions from the field is, hey, I'm doing this and this and this. What's the next step? Yeah. Where where am I at? And I think this document or these different levels that have been somewhat defined kind of provide an industry at least standard to levelizing to say, hey, these are some new things you can look at if you're interested in progressing, or here's some things already that are existing within your level that you're not currently utilizing or exploring so you can find different paths to make. And this, again, isn't about all the data. It's about maybe making your operation as efficient as you possibly can with the equipment that you have. So I think that's a really important factor to these levels of, of having the farmer be able to recognize what the opportunities are with, with some of the tools that they are using. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we as, a, as a precision ag institute, uh, which is one of, the, one of the ways we collaborate across the industry with other companies, we really talked about, you know, the five levels of autonomy mm-hmm. that go on out there. And this is, a, this is an engineering uh, standard. Um, and they talk about, you know, going from, you know, the operator does some things all the way up to completely hands-free. The operator does nothing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tesla right now is at level two, kind of heading to level three. And so, you know, we kind of talked about that. Well, well, what are we at in, in, in agriculture from, from a precision ag standpoint? And, and how, do we, how do we help guide people along the path of what are the things I need to do next? And sometimes, you know, the difference that, that you outlined between step three and four is really consistency and repeatability uh, that you you need a, uh, a business process, if you will, that says you know how you handle if data is not collecting, mm-hmm. right? And that's you know that's what you gain between that is you gain that comfort level over three to six years for you to be you know consistently collecting data. Mm-hmm. So all of this, I feels like, led us to the question of how many years do you have to be collecting data to make a smart decision? <laughs> Well, you know, <laughs> it depends on on what you're uh, on what you're what you're trying to make a uh, decision on. You know, <clears throat> I think about satellite imagery, John. I mean, if you don't have any yield data, I can make a pretty good start with where we should go in soil sample from the satellite image mm-hmm. because that's going to outline some areas of of similarity, uh, group like things together, and tell me to go, you know, try and soil sample in in that. Um, very similarly, if it's a new farm that you, I mean, this this is the new farm problem. I, I, I you know, anybody who's resisted technology and adopting, uh, you know, data data practices this long, um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure there's as many as those out there as people who pick up a new farm and they have no prior awareness, uh, no ability to get that yield data on yep. there. And that's really where satellite imagery comes into play for being able to look back at past history uh, because that's public information. You can look at what you know the high and low yielding areas of the, the last few years. Um, you can actually build a composite sample out of there, what we call a satellite arrived management zone, where you can uh, take 
Uh, you know, what we actually do is we, we allow you to see the weather on those years, 60 days leading up to the image being taken, if it was wetter than average or drier than average. And then you can make a composite map of that to, uh, to start to build some prescriptions off of. SAM's map. Yeah, SAM's, Satellite Arrived Management Zone. Got it. Took a note. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so the answer is maybe you don't need any years to make a smart decision. It's about using the technology and the resource at the tips of your fingers to begin making those smart decisions. Yeah. You know, our, our uh, and, but what I don't want to give there is permission to not yep. collect data after that. Because once you have the opportunity, uh, you know, a satellite image can't tell you how much yield was out there. It can tell you the relative spatial distribution of yield. Uh, and actually, as I say that, I'm thinking, you know, field forecasting tool, we actually took a satellite image and then we took that yield figure and we projected yield across the surface. So we, we've kind of advanced it that way. But, you know, there's the difference between modeling yield and measuring yield. So, mm -hmm. you know, here again, field forecasting tool modeled yield and put that yield across a spatial distribution. Uh, but there's nothing like, you know, a, a true yield map uh, if you have access to it. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> the the one thing I, I think that, that we need to talk about, and, and I feel like I get this question and, and we talk about this every year in the field is 20, 2019 isn't a year that I want to remember or a year that I believe is a good year that's going to help me make better decisions across my field. How do I deal with the data that I collect in 2019 to really add to my level three, level four inferences um, that I need to be making across those acres. Yeah, I think you, uh, you know, it's just like any any baseball player that's uh, that's hit a bunch of home runs and then you find out that they took steroids afterwards. You put an asterisk uh, in, the, uh, in the record books by it and, uh, you know, in the absence of any data, it probably has some lead indicators. Uh, we've talked about in, in prior episodes the, the idea of a normal year. Uh, normal is just a setting on the washing machine. So maybe, maybe in a future world, you know, 15 years from now, uh, the 2019 yield data will be an, uh, analog or analogous to the 2025 uh, season that's out there or the 2030 season that's out there and it could be valuable. Not quite today do we have weather inferences that can make it analogous to, you know, to, to a value point. Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, it's a little bit since data collection has an opportunity to be passive, uh, it's why not collect it? So a uh, prime example of what you just stated is this year, 2019, because of a lot of the prevent plant I was asked in a couple of different occurrences to go back to 2013 and see what some of our tissue samples were saying to see if, we, are we seeing similar trends? Are we coming up with the same answers? What applications or treatments do we make in 2013 that were that we should have learned and, and done in 2019 just because six or seven years ago, our memories necessarily don't go back that far. The other thing that, that I might add into that uh, 2019, how do you really use it? Well, in some cases, we have uh, a lot of extreme IDC. Well, in an extreme year, now you know that if you are going to have IDC, or in some cases we have white mold, those are the spots that you're going to get it um, probably the worst in a year that it isn't as bad. So is it making some notes to say, hey, we know that we can get it here. It's possible. Here's how. Here's the depth and the width of how that patch or that area in the field can can. Uh, cause issues, let's take it upon ourselves and move it into our uh, 
our levels of precision egg. And maybe in the future, we'll just write a, pers- a seed prescription to say, hey, we, we know we have potential to get white mold in that area. Let's lighten up the seed rate. Or we know we have IDC. Let's, let's go higher with the seed rate because those give us the extremes that we can help manage in a normal washer setting year. Yeah. You know, I think that's such a, that's such a great point, John. You know, when you talk about uh, IDC years and you go, well, you know, you work with some agronomists in Western Minnesota. Do we see much IDC this year? Yeah. I mean, a little bit here and there, it it flashed, right? But, but there's, I mean, we had some good plots where we were rating varieties and we did have some good, good hot spots. Yeah. But it wasn't a, a really hot year. Because we need to have hot and dry. I mean, you know, we have to have those conditions exist. And so this year it kind of came and went and it flashed. So I think that's where you put the asterisk on that field and you go, okay, so today the weather forecasts, you know, you can kind of get some indications of the, the short and midterm forecast and its accuracy. But as forecasts, you know, improve, you know, if we were to be able to take those IDC years and then project that forward on uh, 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 a year where we've got a El Nino year and mm-hmm. it's supposed to be predicted less rainfall between the months when those soybeans are flowering, all of a sudden we go, oh, yeah. IDC map this year. Let's make sure that there's iron and furrow. Let's make sure that there's uh, that there's you know different planting populations in those probably higher planting populations in an IDC year versus white mold. You know those same low ground areas might also get white mold. Mm-hmm. So you know, you're able to kind of hedge your bet. So so I think that it's not about. Hey, 2019 was a, a groggy year or a wonky year. Let's just throw the data out and forget about it. It's this is the key. This is what differentiates you on the level of precision egg that you need to be. Is how do you take the wonkiness and spread it across to help you make a decision for the future? I mean, same type of conversation could be applied um, to nitrogen or fertility management in corn in a year like this year. I mean, it's a function of rainfall. So go back and look at what you sh- what we should have done or what worked this year and apply that to your everyday, every year applications and you're probably going to smooth out a lot of the variability that you tended to see in the most variable year. You've been listening to the Deal With Yield podcast. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review us online or on your podcast app. And for more episodes, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and thedealwithyield.com. <laughs>